We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now. You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top five show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And the Lakers won Game 1 of the NBA Finals 116-98 to in a game where, despite that score, it wasn't as close as the score would indicate. Most of the second half was garbage time. Goran Dragic got hurt. Jimmy Butler turned an ankle. Bam Adebayo got hurt. Both Dragic and Adebayo did not return. Uh... And so this was a night that went about as poorly for Miami as, as you could think of on, on a number of levels. Uh, we talked a lot this year about the bigger, stronger, faster Lakers and in the pod preview that we had. And we got to see the manifestation of that in Indeed. game one. Darius, what, like, what was the impact? How were we bigger stronger faster i i i'm sorry before before i kick it to you the the main point that i want to make is that this lakers team is almost perfectly constructed to beat the teams the way that teams are built in the modern game 
right? Is that we can play on the perimeter with you, but we will absolutely smash another team around the basket if they don't have the physical traits to be able to do that. And and so I I feel like we're what we're seeing with this roster and you know, not everybody can do it, of course, right? It's LeBron and Anthony Davis, but we're seeing the Lakers really dismantle very good teams. Like Miami has had a hell of a run. They were 12 and three, just like us. And they did not look like they belonged on the court with us for long stretches of that game. So one of my favorite scenes from the wire, and this is a famous scene as well, is when Marlo goes into the convenience store he mm-hmm. sees the security guard looking right at him. He takes like a $10 dum-dum or a 10 cent dum-dum sucker mm-hmm. and just steals it and just puts it in his pocket knowing that the security guard sees sees him, right? And then the security guard follows him out and confronts him. And then it leads to that famous exchange where Marlo tells him, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way. Yep. And... That's the Lakers to me is when you talk about their ability to sort of play out on the perimeter with you, but then also, but then those same players who are capable of playing out on the perimeter with you can also destroy you in the basket area because they're more physical, they're better athletes, they're bigger, stronger, and faster, right? And it's a total conundrum for teams, right? The idea would be, well, let's play big with you. Portland tried that. They played Whiteside and Nurkic together. They tried to protect the painted area, and Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard and LeBron James, those guys just raced up and down the floor, and they scored in transition at will. Houston said, hmm, no, not like we're not even built to try to even have big guys on the floor. We're just going to be faster than you. And so the Lakers said, okay, well, let's try a regular lineup anyway. Uh, That didn't really work. All right, let's remove one big player, right? Which was Dwight. We'll keep one, one big player in because we, you, you know, we still want to do our thing, (laughs) right? We're the Lakers. Uh Let's, let's still play our way a little bit. And then it was kind of like, oh, we won, but it wasn't as good, right? So (laughs) then they said, you know what? F it. We're just going to not play any of the other centers. We're going to play Anthony Davis. We're going to play Markeith Morris. And then we're going to smash you. And we're going to smash you in the basket area. We're going to spread you out. And then we're going to play from the perimeter, but then smash you in the paint. And they did that the rest of the series in one. Denver was a trickier series, but there was a point in the middle part of this Heat game where I looked at the lineup that the Heat had on the floor, and it might as well have been a lineup that the Rockets had played. Yeah, they're right? very small. It was yeah. like it was like Iguodala and Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and um, Jay Crowder and like Solomon Hill or someone else. And I just thought to myself, like, what kind of lineup is this? You had made this point in the preview pod that I think is a super important point about how you beat the Lakers. Um, And we were talking about it a little bit beforehand. 
but it's that idea of like you have to physically match up with them like like you need to meet force with force mm-hmm. and you're not meeting force with force when one team has LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor and the other team has a bunch of six, seven, and six, eight guys and under on the floor. That's not how you're going to beat this Lakers team um, unless they get totally sloppy and turn the ball over a ton, unless they lose their discipline. But the problem is, is that the only time the Lakers play like that is when they're, they're up, up 25, by 30 yeah, points. Yeah. Right? And, and so this was a game where I just thought, oh, like, no, this isn't, this ain't it. No. Like, you want it to be one way, but it's the other no. way. Yeah. The other way is smashing you in the restricted area with offensive rebounds by Dwight. There was that possession where AD and Dwight were just sort of like, they look like Pow and Bynum uh-huh. out there. Just overwhelming around right? the basket, yeah. J- j- just like tipping the ball around, getting their own misses, and then trying to dunk the ball on little players and getting fouled from behind and screaming because they got fouled. Like It's sort of like, what was that game? That game was one team being physically dominant and the other team sort of just like, we don't have any answers for that right no. now. Now, maybe they'll have answers as, or they'll try to pose different solutions yep. right, mm-hmm. to, the, to the inherent problems that they saw in game one. But game one was a thrashing. Yeah. That was a thrashing, man. Yeah. Like, this is the NBA Finals and the Lakers went down... 13 points to this team, and at one point we're up by 32. That's like a 45-point difference in the middle portion of the game, and they turned a game where it looked like they were on their heels to one where they, the other team could have just left the bubble because that's how bad it looked. The basketball is a game of runs, of course, so a 13-2 run or something like that, that is not something terribly significant one way or the other but when you get like there we were on a 53 to 23 run at some point over a quarter and a half and that that's when like a team has called their timeout to try to regroup they've called their best ato to try to get a bucket out of the timeout and get some momentum back on their side then they call another timeout and make some substitutions. You go three, four deep into the, how do we solve this problem? And you're still getting rolled over the course of that long of a period of time when there were runs that massive between two teams. And we, when we started out, I wasn't worried, right? We were down 25 to 12 or something like that. I think that sounds right. And we were not like, I don't know Miami as well, right? I, I certainly admit that, but I know Lakers well. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the very obnoxious version, version of the Lakers that's two steps too slow and just kind of revving up the diesel engine. But once it got going and, and that first sub, like Miami heard us attacking. They really singled out Dwight. They wanted to attack Dwight with the starters. And that combined with just a general malaise was, uh, was you know, problematic. But once we made that substitution but less of the substitution just decided to turn up the heat it was no pun intended it was uh it was a thrashing like you said 
I thought I thought those substitutions did make make a difference from an energy standpoint. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And from a so there is a I thought the Lakers were thinking too much early during the game. Like we did this whole expansive preview pod. We talked for almost two hours. It was like a <laughs> feature length movie that we recorded with just us talking about these two teams. And one of the common themes that I think we kept bringing up about Miami was their ability to put you in to situations where you have to make a decision defensively. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that you hurt a defense is make them make decisions over and over and over again until they break. And I thought that the Lakers had not quite adjusted to the different types of sequences and decisions that the Heat were were running against them. Like, early during the game, Bam ran that fake handoff play and then got to the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he drew a foul. Um, that's, a, that's a pet action that Miami runs. But they run it off of their dribble handoff sequence that is also difficult to cover. Um, And I felt like the Lakers, that sort of being a step slow, I don't know if that was malaise as much as them sort of being in their own heads a little bit and trying to feel things yeah, out. Yeah, there's a in feeling the out of a Lakers new team. Do. Yeah, they, we've done that every new team. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is who you are, and now this is what we'll do to to beat you. And then when the bench came in, I thought the bench did a much better job of just saying, "We're going to play fast. Do what we do. We're going to attack. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what we do. And even if they're not going to do it as well as." the starters might, right? Um, because LeBron was out, out of the game at that point. Um, Danny Green went, went out as well. Dwight went, went out. It's not like they were playing poorly, my, but the Lakers started to speed them up and started to just play with more force and quickness and less thinking, more doing. And that sort of turned the game in the Lakers' favor, even if both teams were still sort of getting stuff that they wanted. Right when right when those subs, subs happened, the Lakers had a couple of defensive breakdowns still. I think Hero missed a layup point blank right right at the rim. I want to say another Heat, Heat player had another short, short shot just sort of rattle in and out. Those are shots that they were making just two minutes before mm-hmm. that, and then... Well, that happens, though. That happens now when they you play. Missed. But, mm-hmm. but then the Lakers then got some rebounds. They started to push the ball in the open court, and it just started for them. And, and so I think, and as the course of the game went on, I think what the Lakers started, started to realize is, is, yeah, we don't have to think so much. Nope. We're a smart team. We're an instinctive team. We're a great team, Right. That's what they're thinking. That's what the Lakers are thinking. And they just decided we're going to put the pedal, like we're going to pre- we're gonna mash this pedal, and we're going to see where it gets us. And where it got them was that massive run. Do you remember Mike Tyson in his prime? Oh, yes. I'm old. Uh-huh. Yes. Doesn't this team kind of kind of have some of that, like, that, that uppercut, that knockout type of punch, right, where there's... 
there's a speed and size difference that's so great that it almost yeah. becomes a like oh this person this team's being thrown to the lions type you know dominance yeah. and i love what you say about less thinking and more doing because just Miami doesn't have an answer for it. They don't have the guys, man. Miami's a wonderful team. They just don't have the guys. When when LeBron says we built different, we yeah. are constructed differently. We made this point in the preview pod. Well, I'm I mean, I think the epitome of that this game was Anthony Davis. Yeah. I want to talk some about AD because finals debut, right? And He's been talking a lot in the off days. He had that interview with Rachel Nichols. That was great. But, but even in the walk-off after, um, I think it was the walk-off, but he he made some pointed comments about, these are the games I wanted to be in. The finals is where I wanted to be. This is comments about, this is why this team brought me here to play in these games, to make these shots. Like, there is a lot of confidence in those types of statements and self-belief and the wanting of the moment. And so you get to the finals, and the finals are, it's not the same in the bubble, right? There's no crowd there. There's no 300 media who are credentialed to be there, the questions that are coming to you in Japanese and Chinese, (laughs) right? Right? Like, it is a different environment here in this bubble. And I was wondering if if that was going to impact what the moment felt felt like. And and I'll be interested if anyone asked the players that, that type of question. That said, the moment was not too big for Anthony Davis. The, the lights were not too bright for him. He basically came out and said, yeah, that whole best player in the world thing, I can be that. I, I'm not entirely sure that he's not, man. This is, he's on a historic playoff run. Even if you just count the offensive end, he's been mind-blowing, and he happens to be the best defensive player in the world. He certainly staked his he some, claim to that this offseason, or this postseason. He has some defensive plays this game that were unbelievable. That block that he had <laughs> on Dragic, yeah. when he played perfect drop coverage and took away the lob to Bam, Dragic thought then he was just going to shoot a floater, and AD is sort of on his heels and flat-footed, but still found a way to reach up and swat it away, looking like you look looking like Godzilla at the top of the like <laughs> right right yeah. like swatting away airplanes uh-huh. like that like Dragic tried to throw up that little airplane ball and AD was just like yeah that's not gonna work yeah. against me um and just his overall activity and I thought that him playing as hard as he played and and he plays hard in general um but just bringing that level of effort that he brought to this game and to combine it with the skill level that he possesses. He had, what, five assists this game? Mm-hmm. He made a bunch of really good good passes. They tried to disrupt him with Doubles. double teams. Mm-hmm. Where's that player that we talked about earlier during the year? We're like, hey, you Not know. Not too bad, right? Like, like, like the Anthony Davis passing thing, the double, how he deals with the double teams. Yeah, it may just be that, and this happens a lot with big players, where it's typically around 
like years six through eight, I feel like, of players who big players who face a lot of double teams, it's normally in that period where they really start to show growth. Um, this is what AD's eighth season now. Yeah, 2013, so, 12, 13 was his first year. Yeah. So this is around the time where if he's still seeing double teams, it's going to well, start to click He's watching him. tape with LeBron James. Yeah. And Phil Handy, man. Like, this, like, you don't think they saw it too? <laughs> and you don't think, you yeah, don't think yeah, that yeah. all them reps during the regular season and him being able to make mistakes? And, like, if Anthony Davis is, like, a, per, a fine pass, because that's all he needs to be from the post is, like, fine passing out of the double teams. If he's that, what is his biggest weakness? What is Anthony Davis's weakness? Yeah, yeah, there really isn't one. Right? And so, <laughs> that's on a team with LeBron James, man. I know. And it's unbelievable. And when you take that raw talent and then add the stylistic differences and advantages that we have on top of that, this is a an all-time great team, this Lakers team. I really believe that. And I, I've been saying that more in private, <laughs> you know, like and because yeah. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be putting bulletin board material out there, but Miami didn't look like they were in the same class as us in this game. And that's no disrespect to Miami. It's just the, those long, sustained runs, those plays where Anthony Davis misses the putback, but it's kind of like this pass to himself and he goes back up with it. And there are the, the, the planes, right, as he's climbing Sears what? Tower are circling him, but dropping off and as he swats them away. Like, like what can they do, man? I call plays like that like like nerf hoop plays. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Bo Boban that's how Boban looks a lot of times. <laughs> sure. Playing against other big, big players, right? Like he's playing on a nerf hoop and he does that against centers. But when you're Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and you're you're going up against, you know, six eight guys, then that's how a player who's Boban size can make a 6'10 or 6'11 mm-hmm. guy look. But those are nerf who plays. He's AD is just putting the ball up on the basket and just saying, oh, well, I'll just jump again. I'll just jump again. I'll just jump again. And at some point, I'm going to either get fouled or I'm going to score. Or both. And um, so we talked a lot about the physical side of this. I think in the second half of the pod, we should probably get more into the X's and yeah, O's we of some of this, right? Because I thought that the point you made earlier about this being sort of um, one of the worst sort of outcomes for the Heat, right? I, I The injuries play into that. But I also thought there was some schematic choices that they made within this game that took them down a path where they made their lives pretty hard based off of what the Lakers are able to do as a team. And look, man, we've now seen these Lakers for, what, 90, like 90 games mm-hmm. or so. We've got a pretty good read on what this team does well and how they're going to perform against certain types of things. And I thought the Heat served up some things to them on a silver platter with some of the strategic choices that 
that they made. Um, let's let's take a so. quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about those schematic choices, and then look ahead to game two to see, help willing, of course, if there's anything that Miami can do, or maybe what direction they will go in. So let's take a break, and we'll come back with that. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and I haven't had time to make anything, and it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door, and now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and food is on its way. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. So we didn't see much zone defense in Game 1. We covered it pretty extensively, only to say, I don't think we're going to see much of it. Maybe we see it in those Rondo AD lineups at the end of the first and third quarter couple possessions here and there, but not a ton there either. Uh, What we did see was a good amount of switching. And I know that that's uh, that's what you were alluding to as we led into the break. So what did you see with that that was so problematic for Miami? Well, we talked about this in the series pre-preview where the Heat have too many players in their regular rotation who cannot hold up on a switch against either LeBron James or or Anthony Davis. And with LeBron being the primary ball handler and decision maker and the dictator of how possessions go, um, that's going to be a pro- – I thought it was going to be a problem if, if the Heat switched too easily. It's why we spent maybe three or four minutes talking about strategies that the Heat could, could employ to avoid switching when they're playing man-to-man, right? We had said, oh, let's talk about the zone for a long time. We don't think they're going to play it, though. We think they're going to play man. If they play man, how are they going to avoid switching? Because they can't just say, yeah, well, let's guard LeBron with Tyler Hero, or let's guard LeBron with Duncan Robinson, because that's going to end poorly for them. And so we thought maybe they'll hedge hard and then try to recover, like what the Clippers do with Lou Williams or stuff like that. But guess what? Miami didn't do that. And, and that's Instead, like, and that's what Miami does is switch, right? Like, so there's there's one thing to match up with the team that you're matching up against, but how often do you do that thing that you're trying to do for this? Day? Like, how often is Tyler Hero hard hedging and recovering? That's not an action he's familiar with either, and we can beat that due to talent and unfamiliarity as well. Sorry, there's just not a lot of good options. This is going to be a short pod. Go ahead. <laughs> no, so they switched a bunch. And I thought they gave up the switch way too easily. Mm -hmm. And then they played in isolation. And then LeBron just drove and drove and drove. And it was like, oh, this this looks way too easy. And when the Lakers were in the middle of that big run, right, um, and even more in the third quarter, 
I thought. It was just, well, the Heat are playing these small guys. They have no rim protection. Um, and that's, that's music to LeBron's ears. Again, that's like the Houston series. And it's, and, but unlike the Houston series, he's not attacking, um, a PJ Tucker or Robert Covington, right? Who are bigger defenders or sturdier defenders. He's get, he's like, oh, there's no rim protection and it's, and it's Tyler yeah, Hero. Yeah, and it's an on-ball matchup or, mismatch as well. That Great point. That is super favorable. So he's he's not worried about anything. He's not worried about the frontline defense. He's not worried about the help defense. Um, he actually, I thought, looked almost like, not surprised, but almost wanted to give Iguodala props for rotating as far as he rotated to challenge a couple of those uh-huh. shots. Like, he wasn't even mad or frustrated. He didn't even, like, do that thing where he grabs his arm and says, like, I got hit, I got hit, right? Which is what LeBron does a lot of times when he's not able to finish at the basket. But to him, I just felt like he probably thought, you know what, I could do this 50 more times this game if this is how they're going to defend me. And it looked way too easy for them and like am i off base they can't like miami can't do that the rest of this series if they do they're just gonna continue to lose every game by a lot of points so i I don't understand consider this right that what we saw last night there was something else that they do regularly that we spent a lot of time on and then said yeah but they can't do that even more in their zone defense, and way more yeah. importantly than you and I coming to that conclusion, Eric Spolstra came to that conclusion in game yeah. one, was that they had to play man-to-man defense, right? So one of, if not the best coach in the game, decided that zone was an even worse idea than what you're talking about there. I think we will see it in game two, but it's more of a, well, damn, the other thing really didn't work. I mean, maybe we could talk ourselves into it type thing and and yeah 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 just get them out of their their offense but again the lakers have major advantages and whether it's ad at the free throw line and dwight in the dunker spot or spacing the floor out with coos or keith in instead of dwight howard uh it's that's this is a wonderfully constructed roster and we're so versatile we're so um <laughs> we're so capable of matching up with whatever the defense does that there's nothing that a defense can do where it's like we can't we want to beat it but we can't it it plays into some fundamental weakness in the roster and i do i mean what do you think they go zone more like it, do you think that we shattered that switching enough for them to go well crap we've got to rethink this I think they're going to have to go zone a little bit more, just even if it's just as a curveball to not continue to give the Lakers the same exact look. Um, You know, they did run zone for maybe a handful of possessions. I thought um, one of the possessions, though, they executed it so poorly that Spolster was probably like WTF. What are we doing here? Because literally LeBron or whoever it was threw one pass to Danny Green. Jimmy Butler never left 
the nail area and Danny Green just shot a wide open mm-hmm. three. I, I I mean, that's you cannot play zone if you're not gonna be active within the zone. Um but the Lakers threaten the zone and even in the possessions where they didn't score, where the Lakers didn't score, they still threatened the parts of the zone that you don't want threatened if you're the mm-hmm. Heat, which is, I honestly think, one of the reasons why Miami kept running the zone against Boston was because Boston kept threatening the parts of the floor that the Heat were totally fine mm-hmm. with them threatening That's what the zone against is there the for, zone yeah. defense. Mm-hmm. And even so, even if you're having success against that, it's the same as saying, oh, well, you scored on us in man-to-man. It's not like we're going to stop playing man-to-man suddenly. We're, we're not going to give up on that. And there's a commitment level there to your secondary defense to sort of treat it like it's actually a base defense. But um, the way that the Lakers attacked Miami zone – I thought Spolster probably saw enough of, uh, yeah. Yeah, we know that's better. They're yeah. going to hurt us in ways here that is probably going to be either discouraging or dispiriting, or I don't even want them to have the tape on that, that it worked that much. Um, who knows what, what, his, what, what his process was. But I do think they are going to have to go more zone defense against them just to see if the Lakers fall into bad habits or string together possessions where uh, they don't score. Um, Look, the Lakers had an offensive rating this game of 118.4. It would have been the 130s. Yeah, we had 90s with a couple minutes left in the third. Like we, We could have scored 100 points by the end of the third quarter. Yeah. They were a dominant offensive team this game. Made shots, and too. We made our shots, which might not happen to the same degree. Yeah, the Lakers shot real, real, really well. Like, if, if there's a formula for the Lakers to be at their best, this was one of those. Yeah. This is a variation of, of that, right? They outshot the Heat on threes. Um, they were plus whatever you know, 12 plus 12 or 15 or something like that. I don't have the box score up, but plus 12 or 15 from behind the arc. Um, Miami is really been, I don't want to say reliant, but they've really benefited from being um, a high foul drawing team and shooting a lot of free throws. That was not the case this game. The Lakers limited their fouls. They limited Miami's free throw attempts. Meanwhile, the Lakers got to the free throw line 25 or 26 times. Um, All of these factors that you would look for to play into Miami's favor for them to be able to win games or make the series more competitive or or even a single game more competitive, all of those factors went in the Lakers' favor this game. and look, that's a problem. And then when you stack the injuries yeah. on top of that, it's it's really an uphill climb. Like you never wish injuries on on anyone for sure, but look, you definitely if if you're Miami, I'm sure that you'd much rather say like, "Oh, okay, well, how come one of these 8th or ninth or 10th guys couldn't get hurt?" It has to be Dragic 
and Bam Adebayo who don't fin- finish the it, game. If like, I can, Jesus. Uh, Dragic Shams just reported that Dragic suffered a torn plantar fascia, plantar fascia and uh. will continue to be reevaluated. Um, Dr. Brar at 3CB Performance, you know, just ask him. He said it. The it depends on severity if he's out yeah. for the series or not. But yeah, that's a Dragic was the guy, as I said in the preview, that I was most worried about. He's not a guy that swings this series, most certainly, but he was most equipped to. And even if he's able to play, he's such a downhill type of guard that a plantar fascia, you know, injury in his foot is that's going to have an impact, even if he's capable of playing through it. Yeah, there's an explosiveness that Drogic play plays with even as a player who's in his 30s, right? That um, he relies on, on that burst. He relies on sort of start and stop moves. And the pressure that that puts on your feet and your joints is that's, that's just a, that's a lot of pressure, man. And, and so when... When he suffered the injury the way that he did, and it was sort of a no-contact thing, and he sort of pushed off in a way and then looked at his foot, um, it's very similar to how a player would respond to, like, an Achilles. But you knew it wasn't his Achilles, right, because he walked walked it off. And then when they showed him, I don't know if you caught it during the tel- telecast, but they showed him looking very sort of frustrated and and like that sad sort of frustration yeah. like i'm seriously hurt yeah. here um like he knew it was something serious so that's a big blow to miami if dragic can't play i thought nunn stepped in and played well but he played well in a portion of the right. game that wasn't competitive those are the garbage time minutes when uh, we're the easiest team to score on right yeah yeah van gundy um was making a good point about how like these aren't garbage minutes for him. He hasn't been playing. He needs to find his rhythm um, and, and he needs to find the flow and show the coach that he can contribute and do some things that, that are successful. But it's like going back to that Rockets game one where y- the point that you had made was, look, the, these guys aren't even playing hard. How can you tell if what they're trying to do is going to be effective or not? And on some levels, Num was having a lot of success against B or B minus level effort defensively and defensive attention and attention to detail from from the Lakers. So it's hard to say if the success he had in this game is going to translate. Um, Nunn's a confident player, but uh, he's been out of the rotation, so... And if Dragic can't, can't play, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And with games every other day now through the first four games, like that's not a lot of time to rehab or rest or anything like that. So. Yeah, and there's a certain level of Dragic has been in deep-level playoff series many, many times, and none was struggling very much throughout these playoffs, right? He was shooting 29% from the field and was out of the rotation after a very good rookie year. And... Yeah, those minutes, those second half minutes where that were garbage time are just not translatable. He's he's a talented scorer and he can get downhill and he's got some 
similarities to Dragic, right? They're they're both left-handed. Yeah. He's a clever finisher. He's got some explosiveness. I remember he dunked on JaVale, I think it was, in the game against Miami. He had a big uh-huh. dunk. Yeah. So, so he's, he's got some bunnies uh, that pose different problems than, than Dragic does. But they're, they've got a decent number of similarities. But yeah, in against their offense, they were smoking the first part of the game, doing part because of a malaise on our part. They were very smartly attacking Dwight Howard, who is a step or two slow. And that's a weakness of our starting lineup is that ball screen coverage there. So they did a great job of that. But once we went small, and even in the second half when Dwight was in, we did a better job. But they run so many actions off of handoffs and kind of screens and exchanges on the around the curvature of the three-point line, right? And everything's happening out there. And think of what is the opposite of you have to beat the Lakers with force and going through them? It's dancing around and never crossing yeah. the and the, the three-point line. They'll back cut over plays and do things like that. But for the most part, that's where they're at. Like, Duncan Robinson did not score in this game. You, We can smother with, with our switches and then the size and athleticism discrepancy. We can smother their shooting in a way that we, we saw. And then, you know, having to run back on defense and bang with guys that helps take shooters legs out it's just a very difficult like we're an especially bad matchup for this Miami Heat team well one thing I thought the Lakers did exceptionally well too was how they defended the pick and roll with Bam as the roller and you could totally see the difference in size and athleticism between the bigs that like the Celtics played where Bam got dunk after dunk after dunk on that pit pick and roll and against the Lakers, where their size was taking away that lob. And I thought the Lakers guards did a hell of a job of digging down on the trail, right? And sort of locking and trailing on Bam as the roll man, so that when he did receive the ball, they were slapping at it, they were poking it it away, they were making sure that he couldn't get clean catches to then elevate over them, and it allowed their big guy to recover and then challenge shots at the basket that Bam was taking. And then on top of that, there are other just... The the Lakers' pick-and-roll coverage in general I thought was just really good at rotating the BAM and making him shoot in the mid-range off of jump stops rather than him playing downhill and playing with force. And so not only did the Lakers sort of... Or not only were the Heat unable to play with force based off of their perimeter action stuff. But the one play where they would play with force, typically mm-hmm. getting downhill with Bam in the pick and roll, the Lakers did a good job of limiting yeah. that. And the only ways that the Heat did show force was with Jimmy Butler sort of driving in in isolation. And, and he had success do, doing that, but you, he's not going to do that 35 times a game mm-hmm. And score fifty five points like that's just not, that's not the player that, is. a that's not Jimmy Butler's game but b that's not Miami's game plan mm-hmm. so um, what do you think so let's talk adjustments and because I've been thinking about what you would say to any variety of directions that the Heat could try to go in order to be sharper or get better shots or play more into their wheelhouse than what they did in in 
game one. Do you think that they have answers? I don't know what they do. Honestly, like I've been thinking about this. It's funny you asked me that question because I've been thinking about this for most of the night that if I were coaching Miami, I'm not sure. None of my options, I don't feel good about any of them. I don't even feel like, yeah, maybe this could work about any of them. The the fact that they're switching, which is, again, what they do, the fact that they're switching is a, like, okay, maybe... Maybe you go to a switching line, <laughs> but that's the thing is like you destroy your offense. Like, can you put five out there? Let's say Bam's healthy, right? So let's say yeah. Jimmy and Crowder and Iguodala and Bam and Solomon Hill as your fifth guy. And you run offense through Jimmy. You switch everything one through five through those guys. You got Derek Jones playing decent number of minutes. I, like, limiting more of Hero and Robinson's minutes when LeBron's on the floor in particular. Sure. But, I mean, that's so far away from who they are and what they do. Also, too, like, that ruins their offensive space. Right, like, who runs the offense? The Lakers. They're built built around point guards, right? But Dragic and Nunn can't handle switches onto LeBron either. So that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, like, that is not good, that idea I just had. It's just the closest thing to being able to defend us because that's the main thing, right? Is that I Miami can score on us. They can they can score some points. We can smother them and suffocate them from here and there. But they've also got, especially with Dragic healthy, right? They've got some things they can attack and Dwight and some. If they get one of those wings on KCP or Rondo, they can bury them in, sure. the, in the post on a rim run or you know. But I, I don't know how they guard us. So let me let let me go in a different direction then in terms of personnel stuff. So a lot of the stuff that you just said is let's um let's switch more um but let's say that they play stuff more conventionally, right? Um and let's say they play more of their big players instead and slide guys down positions rather than trying to play more like-sized guys. So, you know, um, let's say they play Olenek more, or they play even Myers Leonard more, who's been (laughs) in mothballs, Uh right? No, like, I'm just saying, so that slides Bam onto AD for more possessions. Um, You guard Dwight maybe with Olenek even, and say, like, hey, be a pass, draw fouls, or you start Myers Leonard. Um, and do you think that Spolstra tries to go that way instead? Those aren't necessarily good solutions either, but Leonard and, like, from a devil's advocate standpoint and someone who's trying to look at this from a heat perspective on what we can do, right? Leonard and Olenek, they space the floor. You can still pay, play pick and pop with them. You can, If Bam's next to one of those guys, you can still run a lot of your handoff se- sequences with, well, with him. If Dragic doesn't play, I would imagine that they still might start Hero. So you've got Hero and Robinson. You've got a stretchy big, right? You probably play that other big in the corner, right? rather than up high on the floor. So you're trying to space Dwight 
to the other corner and run handoff actions with Bam. And even though you're involving AD in those, that's still a part of your natural action. And if you can still create dribble penetration off of that where Dwight pinches inside, then you then get the Lakers in to rotation and maybe it's Olenek who's shooting a corner three or Leonard who's shooting a corner three or you get a guard rotating to him and then it's swing swing and then another open three to a guy like Robinson. Do you think that that's more in the direction that Miami would play? Does that make more sense than like, oh, well, let's fill out the floor with a bunch of non They don't have they don't have the personnel to do something that makes sense. So like the fundamental problem with say playing Kelly Olynyk more is now so he's guarding Dwight. First of all, there's a strength disadvantage there, right? But he's a pick and pop guy. He can hit that 3 that could cause problems for Dwight on the other end. But say philosophically as from Spolster's perspective that the Lakers are this conquering horde that we've been talking about the entire season and yeah. the castle walls crumble as a result of their size. So playing Myers Leonard, playing Kelly Olenek more is maybe not great, but it's the best that we can do to take away their size, to not give up as much of a size discrepancy. Do you remember what Anthony Davis did to Yusuf Nurkic in Hassan Whiteside? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what LeBron James did to those guys on pick and roll hedges? Like Dwight comes in yeah. and sets a ball screen for LeBron, and now it's Kelly Olynyk on the hedge in drop coverage. In a drop, yeah. You're not going to switch or Myers Leonard and and a drop, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And saying, yeah, get stop, stop LeBron, stop LeBron on that move where he's driving left and spinning back right, like. Well, also, too, this is a fundamental problem with, with the Lakers, too, right? Because even if you do play those well, well, those guys, the Lakers can still play Morris. They can still put AD I, at the five. Mm-hmm. They, and then they can still just say, oh, well, guess what? Like, we're still just going to play our like, best Like, sure, guys. we'll play that we're way, and now we're rotations. five out. Now Kelly Olenek has to defend and, Anthony Davis on the perimeter. Good luck. Or he has to guard, or he's just spacing out to guard Marquis Morris or someone, and whatever, right? Like... So I'm with you. This, what, so I will say this too, is the Lakers smashed this team in game one. And I, I always try, even if I understand that it's maybe not the most rational approach to sort of still understand how the other team can still do damage against you because I think that that's what coaches. That's what you have to do doing, until, right? until it's all over. Yeah. yeah, that they're still going to try to think of ways that they can be hurt by what Miami can do with the personnel that they have available or what adjustments that they're going to make. Right, and the more shots you get at it through more games, that's just more tape and more opportunity to make those those adjustments. And very similar to the Denver series, where the first game was the easiest game for the Lakers. And then each game got progressively harder for them. And so maybe I've still got a little bit of that whiplash from the Denver series. Bro, they, they don't have a where... Jokic. Jokic is an elite offensive player, yeah. man. Jokic is one of the best offensive players in the world. And they just don't have that on one end. And then they don't have the 
functional size and athleticism. Like Jeremy Grant was really important in that series, and he gave them good minutes. You got a Mason Plumley off the bench, and he's a bouncy athlete, which Miami does not have. My, neither Myers Leonard nor Kelly Olynyk, a guy who can play with force from the five spot. Yeah, they just—it's just a personnel issue. If Bam could hit that three. Then all of their actions that they run around the five, uh, you know, around Bam, you know, that's a maybe a different story, but that's just not his game at this point of his career. And so there's just there's too many basketball things that in basketball, there's always, again, that whole rock, paper, scissors quality of basketball where this thing works really well against that thing but if the other team thing can team can do this they can take away the thing that initially worked well Miami just doesn't have the the options the cards to go to that are like oh that's that gives the Lakers some issues they just don't have the personnel and like so for example I thought I thought the Celtics would have been a more difficult matchup for the Lakers than Miami because both Tatum and Jalen Brown especially can power through you from the wing position. Now we've got answers to that, right? That's not something that that I think it would have had a different outcome, but they that was like one place where I saw during the regular season, hey, we have kind of have problems against these type of guys. And Jimmy is the only one on Miami that fits that description as a scorer. And he's not like Jason Tatum will dunk on you. Jalen Brown will dunk on you. Jimmy Jimmy Butler won't really dunk on you. And there's just they they don't have the guys, man. Like I I look maybe I'm wrong. I've been wildly wrong before, but I think we saw in this game that there's just severe personnel problems for Miami. Yeah, and I also think too that there are so there personnel is always the best coaches are always going to tailor their X and X's and O's in order to fit their, their personnel. Right. And Miami's done that wonderfully this year. Um, and they've been tactically smart and they have leveraged all of the strengths that their specific roster affords them in order to get through the East. And, um, it's interesting though, because the Lakers, just like you said at the beginning of, the pod offer very specific problems that are difficult to solve and the weaknesses that are on the Lakers roster need a certain type of talent in order to counter it really counter that and take advantage of of those weaknesses and um Miami certainly did not have that in in game one and I think while I'm more on your side of the equation moving forward, I also think that let's see a game or two more and see where thing, things go. But the Lakers, you know, they this is as commanding a 1-0 yeah. lead as yeah. you can take in, in a series. And there's going to be probably a sleepless night for Eric Spolster, who grew up in the uh-huh. film room and came up in the film room and is going to be probably in the film room you all know, night man, sometimes, trying to figure out what Sometimes the film room tells you things that you can't do anything about. That's what the film room does. There are some time, points where it's like, oh, yeah, that's really a problem. And the problem with the Lakers is that we've got a few things with Miami that are, oh, that's really a problem. Even all the way down to Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic dropping down to try to battle with Dwight in a 2-3 zone, 
right? There's so many levels of places where this is a problem. You're, you seem very amused uh, over there. What, what you thinking? I'm thinking I'm going to find a way to clip that part where, where you said the film room does this, uh-huh. right? And then I'm going to try to find a way to use that against you as if you were talking in the third person about yourself. Oh. Wow, but using, it's very elaborate. But, but using film it's room? good to know. It's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Sorry, you know that's how entertaining this game was, uh-huh. right? Like my mind was starting to wander while while you were making a point about how I could bury you with some with like like with some. A, fr- clips, a friend so. of mine texted Apologies. me. A friend of mine who's a huge huge basketball guy was like, "I'm gonna go continue my rewatch of The Wire because this game is a dull." And uh, hey, man. Well, yeah. The Lakers are in the NBA Finals, so you know we're going to be watching every, every, every single second of this, and we're going to try to talk to fans about it and talk to each other about what we see. Um, look, man, this was yeah. this was a great my, win. It was a great my game. My confidence is 100 out of 100. This is insane that we're in the NBA Finals. You and I have been alive for enough of these. To The only run I can think of that and you know jobs not finished and, and whatnot but the only run i can think of that was less stressful than this was 2001 because even they they didn't quite have that same take the foot completely off the gas and give up a 13-2 run in 90 seconds quality right but that like otherwise this team hasn't been in trouble even yes so yes and no hey so you hey, got, got a finals yes and with no this i one. like it yeah, I, during the playoffs, I think that some of these series have been closer than what the final series result has mm. been. But that speaks to the medal of the team to win those games, right? And so like, it reminds me of the 2009 finals when those games were close. Those games were close. Like, Courtney Lee missed that layup, that one game that would have, like, sent the game into overtime or, or won the game that was a buzzer-beating layup, and he missed mm-hmm. it. It was a difficult mm-hmm. shot, but, but he missed it. That other game, uh, game four, I think. Went to it, overtime. Those, Kobe went nuts. Went to overtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Fisher also, too, had to hit, like, a 35-footer against Jameer Nelson just to even put the game in to overtime. And then he hit that that other three to sort of clinch it, right? Those games were not blowouts. They weren't runaways. And um, there have been games like that throughout the playoffs where, like I said, there was that point during the after the Rocket series where I watched every single one of, Le- of LeBron's baskets, and I was sort of surprised at how late in the game, like against both Portland and Houston that those games were like close or oh wait Houston was leading when he did this like I don't remember it being that way and it sort of speaks to that amnesia that you get when a really good team turns it on over stretches of the game and sort of like that dominance is what sticks with Mm -hmm. you and that's what this Lakers team has done these these playoffs. They have they really have rampaged through the series in terms of final victories, but they also showed a great toughness and resolve within individual games to make sure that they would win them, right? Um but this this series is starting out and looking 
a very specific way. And like I said, when you tack on the injuries, it makes it even a little bit more wobbly for the. Yeah, opponent. it feels different because we blew out Denver in game one, right? And, I, and, you know, Miami missed some open shots that they might normally hit. And we hit some. We shot very well in the meaty part of the game, especially where we were, where it was somewhat competitive. Uh, but this felt different in that that game one against Denver. I watched Denver and I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't their best of what they could do against us. And that wasn't Miami's best against us, but it wasn't as big of a discrepancy. Like, I don't think Miami has as much of a an additional gear. I would say this, that it actually reminds me of, in a weird way, it reminds me of the Portland series game one, mm-hmm. where, where Portland didn't play that well, and the Lakers played poorly mm-hmm. offensively, and Portland won. And there was a lot of chatter about, oh, well, Portland can play so much better than this. But in conversations I was having with people, I was saying, well... Show me how, because a lot of what held Portland down was directly attributable to what the Lakers were doing. You said this before the pod. That's how I said this before the pod in that, like a lot of the determinations about what other teams are and what their chances are against the Lakers are derived from what they do against other teams and playing other teams. When we are built different, we are constructed differently. Does it doesn't translate. Yeah, and that's a big reason why I'm so confident. So uh, I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, we're gonna have to, you know, I, I think find things to talk about at different points of the series. I, I think we'll get a better shot from Miami in Game Two, at least in terms of uh, definitely there. There's a certain degree of shock and awe with the Lakers and that style. Where in Game Two they'll be more used to playing against a team like us, so they will. I think they'll make fewer mistakes. I don't know how much that will matter, right? Because of the just basic personnel discrepancies, but they won't be as surprised by playing us in Game Two. I, I expect Game Two to be more competitive than Game One, but things are looking good for us. Three more to go. Uh, got Game Two on Friday. We'll record after that. But until then, been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around like, for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.